Welcome to the Authority Podcast, Plumbing and Mechanical. When talking about the built environment, we would do well to remember, we shape our buildings and afterwards our buildings shape us. Therefore, on each episode, we'll discuss the latest trends from my Atmo in plumbing and mechanical safety, sustainability, and resiliency. Join me, your host, Christoph Lohr, and together we'll explore the ways we can make our buildings shape us for the better. Welcome to the Authority Podcast, Plumbing and Mechanical. This is part two of our two-part series discussing creative synthesis, sustainability, and water safety with Marianne Dickinson, President and CEO of the Alliance for Water Efficiency, and Dr. Janet E. Stout, President of Special Pathogens Laboratory. I'm Christoph Lohr, your host, and I'm looking forward to continuing our conversation. If you missed part one, I suggest you go back and listen to that episode before continuing here. Now, let's jump right into part two of my conversation with Marianne and Dr. Stout. In the previous episode, we talked about how we're getting there, but we're not quite there yet. Well, speaking of getting there, that conversation made me think of the Trump administration seeming to be consumed with increasing flow rates in showers, clothes washers, dishwashers, toilets, and other plumbing fixtures. Uh, Marianne, I guess, what was your sense as far as what was going on there? Well, uh, I, I guess the president was unhappy with low flow plumbing fixtures. I don't know whether he had issues with some of the fixtures in his properties, but clearly he was on a mission to increase water flow anywhere he could. And the Energy Policy Act, which was passed in 1992, was pretty precise in how it defined some of those fixtures. And although he complained about uh, flushing his toilet 15 times, there really wasn't anything he could do other than going to Congress to change the toilet standard on a national basis. But there were other things that could be done. And one of the things that the Department of Energy under his direction ended up adopting was a new definition for shower heads that basically said, well, in the past, the Energy Policy Act said you could only have two and a half gallons a minute for your shower. No matter how many shower heads you had, the total shower experience could only be two and a half gallons a minute. And that was removed. Now, any shower head in a multiple shower head array can flow each one at two and a half gallons a minute. And body sprays, which are the kind of sprays that are alongside the walls of a shower stall, they're exempt altogether. So that created a situation where very high flow plumbing shower systems could now be legal in the United States. He also created new product classes for dishwashers and clothes washers that were short cycle product classes where there were no long cycles, but only short ones. And by creating a new product class, those new products are now exempt from water and energy efficiency standards because they have to be adopted separately. And uh, of course, the Trump administration didn't do that. So we have now all of these rules and rulemakings that are in effect. Uh, They were approved by the Department of Energy in December of 2020. And so the Alliance for Water Efficiency has uh, gone on a mission to appeal those rulemakings and to see if uh, with all the legal flaws that they had in the proceedings, if maybe the federal court might roll them back. So we'll, we'll have to see. I think the new Biden administration is interested in revisiting some of those issues, but whether they would do it quickly enough on their own, we don't know. So we're where we are appealing those in in court. And so I think the reason I'm telling this long-winded story is that there seems to be a public perception that the more flow that a fixture has, the better it will work. And that's not necessarily true. I mean, I, I like to remind people that the plunger was invented about 150 years ago when toilets flushed at 15 or more gallons of flush. 
it relates to how it's designed. And the new WaterSense labeled fixtures flush very, very well at 1.28 gallons per flush. It, you don't have to have a five gallon per flush toilet in order for it to work properly. And so this is a public perception problem that we have. And one of the concerns I really have in this discussion about public uh, health versus water efficiency is that it shouldn't be a versus and that there shouldn't be the impression that the public gets that in order to protect public health, we're going to have to jack up all of the flows everywhere beyond what is in the federal law. Our concerns, I think, are mostly making sure we hold the line at what the federal government has done, both in federal law and with the WaterSense program, and not go below what we know is a tested standard that meets all of the public health concerns that we have. That's a great point, Marianne. And I think that would mimic how I see this as well. You know, we have to find the balance point. I think we've talked about balance and, and creative synthesis, but you know, I sit there and I think about the reduction in flow rates, right? And I think you bring up a great point. I think here in the US, we don't necessarily take a look at all the components as they work in a system. We take a look at them right. as individual components. And we need to start thinking and sort of shifting our mindset to seeing that connection between everything. And, and, and I, building performance. Yeah, the yes, building envelope, how yes. it performs. And, and that was one of the points we made to the to the California Energy Commission. You, you can't just look at individual fixtures. You have to look at how it performs as a building. Definitely. Well, and I think that's where, you know, codes and standards can come into play. And I think IATMO, um, the water demand calculator, it's that was the first update to the way that building plumbing systems have been sized in, in 70 plus years. We've been basically using this kind of the same criteria for sizing buildings that we did back in 1945 when the Hunter's Curve was created till today, just some minor modifications. And, you know, when when we've made some of those reductions in flow rates, I mean, perhaps we outpace that. And that's where we're now seeing these water quality issues. We outpace the sizing criteria, but the water demand calculator now for residential has come out. We're looking at having a summit later this year on updating the Hunter's Curve for hospitals, office buildings, apartment complex. We're hoping to host that here at the beginning of November and getting the industry pulled together to, to update that for these other building types. And, and I think these are the steps we need to take. And again, we need to realize in my mind that plumbing is a very complex system. I mean, we have microbiologists involved, we have utilities involved, we have engineers involved, we have contractors involved, we have building officials and inspectors and, and this host of people that are involved that each brings their needed perspective. And when we develop the codes and standards to address these challenges, we need all of those participants and stakeholders to have equal representation, or I should say, equal weighted representation, that their voices has equal weight to make sure we're really solving this holistic problem. Because everybody's perspective on this is, is needed in order to really make sure that we make the right decision. Otherwise, we're making decisions, I think, in a vacuum. And, and Marianne, what you're talking about, it seems like there's a lot of that that goes on, whether it's you know previous administrations just wanting to increase the flow willy-nilly, or you know maybe where we've kind of gone maybe too far. We have to kind of find that middle ground as a as right. an industry and as a and, society. And I think Marianne made a good point about the this idea of assumptions that things are versus each other, that sustainability and safety are opposed. And and I just want to make the point that not every building has a Legionella problem. And in fact, all of these devices are in use in lots of different buildings. And rule of thumb is about 50% of, of, of large buildings with hot water recirculation have Legionella colonized in that system, only 50% on average. So that's a myth that people have that Legionella is in every building. And so obviously these devices, these ways of operating don't always create a, a safety issue within the building. And I think it's important for people to realize that. 
you know, and Janet, I wanted to ask you on that. You know, I think you had mentioned earlier up front that there's a lot of standards and guidelines that have kind of started touching on this. You know, and you had mentioned obviously IATMO's uh, Uniform Plumbing Code Appendix N. And I think you had talked about the CTI guideline 159, ASSE standard 1280, ASHRAE. I think we've talked. Have we talked about ASHRAE standard 188? I mean, do you want to talk about some of the others that that are worth referring to? Well, you know, ASHRAE guideline, I'm sorry, ASHRAE standard 188 came out in 2015. It just seems like so long ago. Um, and what has happened in the interim period is that it is a sort of a, a high level structure for addressing the risk of Legionella in building water systems. You have to mind the gaps that are in standard 188. It doesn't tell you exactly what to do to minimize. It sort of tells you kind of the approach to take in developing a water management team and setting limits and making sure that you're measuring how things are operating. If you are in a healthcare facility, certainly you want to consider testing for Legionella as part of that water safety and management program. People get into trouble uh, when they develop a plan without outside guidance. And outside guidance can be looking at the CDC toolkit, for example. The Joint Commission, in terms of healthcare, is really coming down and strengthening their standard. And in fact, we're going to have a a webinar, if people are interested, we're having uh, as a guest speaker, uh, Diane Cullen from the Joint Commission to talk specifically about these new standards from the Joint Commission regarding Legionella management and reducing the risk of building water systems in healthcare. So there's lots of information out there, you know, and sometimes people need help kind of assimilating and, and synthesizing all of that information. And we've seen people get into trouble just because they're naive about the complexities of, of Legionella water management. So people should just keep that in mind. So are you saying it's a do-it-yourself thing? You know, people can do it yourself, but this is what I see, unfortunately. You know, so we get called in when there's a problem sometimes, and the problem is somebody's gotten Legionnaire's disease, and invariably there are deaths associated with that. And then when the health department says, uh, show us your water management plan, and they give them a two-page document, we know that they're in trouble. And, you know, I think they were just naive about what really goes into an effective water management plan. So when you do it yourself, you just be careful. Definitely. And that's my sense too. And kind of along that line of standards and, and guidelines coming out, you know, there seems to be an emphasis on, on switching from reacting to Legionnaire's disease outbreaks to trying to prevent them in the first place. Uh, Janet and then Marianne, I mean, what do you all think about what the benefits are and, and if that approach is, is maybe the right one? Well, I just want to say, Christoph, that that's music to my ears, uh, that you see perceptively the change from a reactive mode to a proactive mode. It's it's far better, not only in terms of disease prevention, uh, but also for the reputation of the organization and cost. Uh, when there are cases and in investigations, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars are spent very, very quickly in response to public health authorities coming to your facility, whether it's a, a cooling tower problem or Legionella in the water distribution system. So the the emphasis on being proactive, approaching the problem by having a water management plan and program in place is wonderful. The thing that people just sometimes get confused about is they will in a certain amount of denial and avoidance, they will say, I don't want to test the water for Legionella. I, I just don't want to know. And, and unfortunately, uh, that's the only way to really 
assess the risk within your building. Uh, but ASHRAE and CMS, uh, Medicare and Medicaid, uh, their memorandum from 2017 and 2018 leaves it at the discretion of the facility. And sometimes the, the facility sort of has the ostrich with the head in the sand and doesn't want to know what the risk is. So I would encourage people to test for Legionella if they're assessing risk because that's really the only way to do it. And it should be part of a well-managed water safety and management plan. So I would agree with what Janet says, but I, I think there is still a resistance among some building managers because they are afraid of what they're going to find. Um, I have a friend who managed for many years a, a skyscraper in, in downtown San Francisco. And when I asked him rather casually, oh, how often do you test for Legionella? He said, I don't. And I said, why not? He said, because I'll find it. And then that will open up a whole regulatory nightmare for me. Um, and I think this is part of what we have to address in education because this regulatory nightmare will be a whole lot worse if it's reported as an outbreak and deaths occur than if you proactively managed it in the first place. And I think this is the task that's ahead of us is to is to go, as Janet said, from reactive to proactive to make sure that we minimize the amount of the disaster situations that could potentially occur. You know, Marianne, that makes me kind of think about this a little bit. Is there a role that water efficiency plays into the prevention via via design and installation of plumbing systems, of new plumbing systems? Well, pipe sizing is, of course, a, a major issue. And there's lots of great work that's going on in pipe sizing for a variety of reasons, not just in saving energy from slow delivery of hot water to fixtures, but but just in general, making sure that the fixture flows are, are working correctly. And I know we focus a lot on the commercial sector for pathogen growth, but I get very concerned about some residential situations where houses that are vacation homes you know, could potentially be Legionella, uh, and pathogen sinks if if those plumbing fixtures are not flowing on a regular basis, but only flowing every, you know, maybe two months or so when they come into town. So I, I think we need just good guidance in general, not just for the design of the buildings, but for proper operation of those systems once they're installed. Yes, and uh, Christoph, the design part, you know, this is where um, mechanical engineers and design engineers come into play where, you know, we have seen bad design, meaning that, you know, where the loop for the hot water, you know, goes all the way to the top and comes down and and the water goes round and round and round and it loses temperature. And and with most many at least disinfect supplemental disinfection approaches being applied to hot water to control Legionella, that's a big problem in terms of efficacy of disinfection. So for sure there's a design role here to mitigate those risks. You know, and Janet, that makes me think, obviously, you know, design is one part of that entire construction process, but a big part of the construction process is the actual construction and installation. Um, you know, my sense is that there's a lot out there, you know, having spent time on the IATMO AWWA Manual of Best Practices, where I think actually Special Pathogens Labs, uh, very own uh, Julianne Barone was part of the, the discussions. And, and I remember we had a lot of discussions about how when buildings have been shut down or have become vacant as a result of a pandemic or whatever else, that that, that situation very much mimicked 
the installation and the construction of a building in the first place, especially with the water systems maybe being charged, you know, having water put into the, the piping system, but then perhaps, you know, not being utilized and, and the potential concern there. So, you know, I, I guess, you know, as far as engineers, uh, you know, people that are constructing buildings, policymakers, jurisdictions, I mean, what what do they need to know about pre-construction planning and, and planning for construction and trying to maintain safe building systems for the, the first building occupants? Uh, it's a great question, and again, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. We've seen a number of outbreaks that have occurred uh, after new building construction, and that's because, for the reasons that you just said, you know, they they have water sitting in there, and they might have even done a commissioning, you know, charge of the system with a high amount of chlorine, but then it sits there for months, and then they open it, and now people are exposed to high levels of Legionella because they didn't check it again before occupancy. So actually, in uh, ASHRAE Standard 188, there is a section, Section 8, that deals with this issue and, and talks about whether it's two weeks uh, delay in beneficial occupancy or four weeks delay in beneficial occupancy, what should be done. Uh, and if it's four weeks or longer, it should go back to the water safety management team to decide whether or another disinfection is necessary. And part of this now, uh, in, in healthcare anyway, there's infection control risk assessment that's part of construction. Uh, and what we've done is put the W before that. WICRA, Water Infection Control Risk Assessment, so that during construction, whether it's new construction or ongoing construction, the issues of water and, and its ability to, um, to promote Legionella transmission are addressed during that construction phase. Awesome. Well, I think, you know, as we're wrapping up here, I think we covered a, a whole host of subjects. You know, I, I guess if I was going to summarize our conversation here is that Safety and sustainability, uh, you know, perhaps what many people see as two different camps, they're maybe not really two different camps. They're all part of that same nexus, to, to steal your word, Janet, of experts and specialists that are working together to try to fix this problem. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I guess, you know, as we wrap up here, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, why industries and companies and, and organizations such as the Special Pathogens Lab and AWE are concerned about bridging that gap between water efficiency and public health. I guess, let me ask this question before we wrap up, what would be your top one or two lessons uh, for our listeners to take away from our conversation here today? Well, I'll jump in first. This is Marianne. Um, First of all, water efficiency should never compromise public health. There's no reason for that to happen. They're, they should be mutually achievable goals. And to achieve that, I think water utilities need to, to spend a fair amount of time also working with their commercial customers and their building owners in their service areas to make sure that these best practices are, are being implemented. And um, I, it, it's going to require a partnership among all of these uh, valuable stakeholders to make sure this happens. And for me, I think, uh, Christoph, um, and sort of circling back to a comment I made at the beginning of the podcast, is that we need to break down the silos uh, across the disciplines and make sure that we have increased awareness, shared language. And and one of the things we talked about is that um, IATMO ASSE training, the next one's April 5 through 7, uh, lots of resources on specialpathogenslab.com. Uh, there's COVID resources for reopening as well as access to registration. And then on the education side, we have this, you'll probably laugh at this, we have a uh, a website called puzzledbylegionella.com. And on that website, there's a book that 
tells you everything you need to know about Legionella and water management. So we're, we're trying very hard to make sure that those silos are broken down. And I'm really excited to have been part of this podcast because I think this podcast and your work in the field goes a long way to doing that. Amen. Awesome. Well, before we sign off, I was going to ask you guys, how can people get in touch with you, whether it's by Twitter, LinkedIn, or email, or your organizations? So the Alliance for Water Efficiency has a pretty extensive website. Uh, you just type in www.allianceforwaterefficiency, all one word, .org. And a lot of our information is there, including how you get in touch with us at the staff level. We're headquartered in Chicago. Of course, we're, a number of us are working remotely with the pandemic, but you can still contact us uh, by emailing office at a4we.org, and we'd be happy to answer any questions that you have. And if you want to talk to a legionellologist, uh, all you have to do is email info at specialpathogenslab.com. Awesome. Well, and if any of our listeners want to get in touch with me, Christoph Lohr, the host, you can find me on Twitter at Lohr Thoughts, L-O-H-R Thoughts, all one word, or on LinkedIn, you can look for me, Christoph Lohr P-E. Also, you can go on the IAPMO website, www.iapmo.org. On behalf of the Authority Podcast, Plumbing and Mechanical, I just want to say thank you again, Marianne and Janet, for joining me here today. This was a fantastic conversation. I know I always come away with something when I talk with both of you over the last couple of weeks. So just, again, thank you so much for, for joining us here today. It was a pleasure. Yes, thanks, Christoph. It's wonderful. And, and thank you, Marianne. Thank you, too. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Authority Podcast, Plumbing and Mechanical. Love this episode of the podcast? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Please follow us on Twitter at AuthorityPM, on Instagram at The Authority Podcast, or email us at iatmo at iatmo.org. Join us next time for another episode of The Authority Podcast, Plumbing and Mechanical. In the meantime, let's work together to make our buildings more resilient and shape us for the better. <laughs>